Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Help Side Basketball Coaching Strategy and Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, John Jansen. I just want to start off by saying sorry for the delay on the podcast. I had some major internet problems here where I live and I was literally cut off from the world for two weeks and unfortunately we missed a lot of things that were important that I wanted to talk about including the trade deadline and the all-star game and kind of the end of the Celtics and the Lakers. But we'll get into all that in a minute. And then I also wanted to talk about something a little different today, more of an analytics-based talk, fouling when you're up two. So you can kind of think about that as I as we go along here. So first I want to talk about... Um, I just want to start with college basketball talk here for a second as March Madness is coming up. It's really interesting as teams evolve and teams get better throughout the college season, especially some of these young teams. And I really think that the best team in the country is Duke. And you can see that they're not a perfect team because Zion got hurt and they've lost a couple games and everything's been pretty close. But I think if he is back and healthy, I think they are the team to beat. I just think he's so dominant at this level. And I don't know how well his game's going to translate. I'm guessing it's he's going to be fine in the NBA. But he's just so much bigger and more athletic than everyone. I just think they're the best team. And I think Virginia is one of the best teams. And I think they can win it all as well. It's really interesting because obviously last year they lost in the first round to a number 16 seed. And I would wager everything I have that that's not going to happen this year for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was just one of those things where everything that could go wrong for them did and everything that could go right for their team did. But I also think that this year they will be so focused. You know, it's almost like a revenge spot. Everyone talks about revenge spots when you've lost to that team last time you played. Well, they lost to a 16 seed the last time they played. So this year they're going to come out and want to just dominate these guys. And they won't sleepwalk through it. They won't kind of just assume they're going to win and start getting ready for the second game, which probably in the back of a lot of number one seeds' minds they do just because they're so much better. And so that's just not going to happen this year. And I think they are definitely a Final Four contending team for the same reasons they always are. They they score well enough and they defend as as well as anyone in the country. And when you defend, then your 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 game travels. And, you know, when you talk about winning championships and, and you see some of these teams that go on the road and get blown out, like we saw Kansas go to Texas Tech and lose by 30, and then we saw Kansas State go into Kansas and get blown out by 15 or something. And, and some of these other teams that go on the road and they just they just get killed – and people don't understand why. And it's because when you have young teams and when you have teams that don't defend well, then you go into a, an arena and they've always said, people have always said that your your role players are going to shoot well at home and they're going to struggle on the road. And, you know, your best players are going to play well no matter what. 
and so on and so forth. Well, if you go on the road and your and your role players don't shoot as well, well, then the only way you can stay in a game is to grind out a defensive victory. And if you want to win on the road, you got to be able to defend. And a team like Virginia and a team like Duke, who has elite athletes and who can defend, is going to be able to play no matter what. And you look at a team like Syracuse, who never has the greatest record lately and still makes runs in the tournament is because they defend. And they play a zone that teams aren't used to, and that doesn't matter. It's just a fact that it's a defensive strategy that teams aren't used to, and that's how they win on the road. And that's how they can win in neutral site games in the tournament, even if they're the lower seed. That's something that I've always stressed is being a defensive team, and and I just think that defense gives you the ability to com- to be in any game because if you can get stops then you can work yourself into any game. Anyway, I got a little sidetracked there. I really don't like the way that the poll works for the top 25 in men's basketball or for anything in general, where if you lose a game, you just drop a few spots and then other teams that didn't lose that week are above you now. And it's like, if you lose one game, let's say a team hits a buzzer beater on you and you lose a game, are you worse than you were before that game started? I don't think so. Just because you went on the road in a hostile environment doesn't mean you're any worse than you were yesterday or earlier before that game. Now, if you are showing signs over the course of a week or two weeks or three weeks that you're not as good as, you know, you were perceived to be or other teams are better than they were perceived to be then yeah you can move up and down but these teams play in these conferences that are really really tough and you have tons of road games and hostile environments and no one's going to go undefeated so now you have a team like Gonzaga who's playing in a terrible conference against terrible competition they've won every game in conference by more than 10 I think it might even be more than 12 and because Teams like Duke and Tennessee and Kentucky and all these other teams have these really tough stretches where they go on the road and they lose a game or two. Then Gonzaga just slips ahead of them because they're beating terrible, terrible teams, and it's stupid. There's no chance that Gonzaga would be undefeated in the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 or anything like that. They would lose games just like everybody else would, and they'd be ranked around between 15 and 25. But because they play in this terrible conference that they get to win every game easily— then by default, they just keep sliding up the rankings because other teams are losing, and it's, it's, it makes no sense. And you would think that the committee who ranks these teams would see that and just leave them in a position or maybe move them up very slowly, but I don't know. I just don't understand how they can look at this team and think that they could go on the road to Duke and North Carolina and win both of those games. Like, teams have to do in the ACC all the time. It's just never going to happen. And it just makes no sense that they're the number one ranked team in the country right now because they're, they're not the best team in the country. As far as other teams that I think can make a run, I don't think Michigan's as good as people think they are. And, you know, Beeline is a very good tournament coach, but I just don't think this team is is that good. I think they have played well. But I think teams are starting to figure them out a little bit. And they struggle shooting threes. And I think when you see a team like Michigan State come in 
to Chrysler Center and beat them, you can see that there's some things that aren't good enough to go all the way. And I think a team like Michigan State, who is probably not as talented as most teams, but are so disciplined, is a team that can get to the Final Four. I don't think it's a team that can win the whole thing, but it's a team that can win a bracket, win their corner of the bracket, because they're so disciplined and Tom Izzo knows how to win in, in, in March and win you know big games in the tournament. And speaking of that, it's so interesting that you see the same coaches and the same teams winning year in and year out. And you don't see other coaches doing the same things. And it's, I don't know, I don't understand it sometimes because you see like the Patriots. They commit the least amount of penalties in the NFL. They never make stupid turnovers or or make dumb plays. They're just solid all the time. And does that mean that every player that gets drafted by Bill Belichick just is a guy who's not a knucklehead and doesn't commit penalties? No, of course not. It's drilled into them to play the right way, to play by the rules. I wouldn't be surprised if they do drills. I'm sure they do drills of just not committing penalties, you know, do different instances, maybe like waiting for snaps so there's no false starts or defensive offsides, things like that. It's just cut out those little penalties that gives team that gives the opponents edges all the time. And then you see that in in college basketball and NBA where end of a shot clock a guy will fumble a ball and a guy will dive for it and take out the other guy's legs and get a foul or a guy will pump fake and a guy will jump into him with two on the shot clock and he had no prayer of making the shot and now he's got two free throws instead of a of a bad shot and now the other team's breaking and to me it all comes down to coaching and discipline and drilling it into players that they are not going to make those silly mistakes and working on that in practice every day. And the more you can cut those down, the more edge you're going to have on your opponents. Anyway, a team like Michigan State, I think, can can win a bracket, but I don't think they can win the whole thing. Moving to NBA, to the NBA, it's very interesting to see the Lakers and the Celtics kind of imploding right now. And... One I can understand and one I'm I'm struggling with. And maybe I shouldn't be. So we'll start with the Celtics, which I understand their kind of implosion right now. And if you look at all the things that have happened over the course of this year, you can see why this could be happening. So let's start from the top. First of all, if you go back to last year, they were the underdogs. They were the blue-collar team that had Kyrie Hurt and Hayward Hurt, Haywood Hurt. And they had a bunch of guys who weren't stars who had to fight and scrap and played together and exceeded all expectations. And then Kyrie comes back, and now and he's always had a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he's the guy who walked away from LeBron James, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And you have Hayward back. And first thing it's done is it screwed up the chemistry. Because you had a bunch of guys playing for themselves for each other 
And now you have a guy like Kyrie who jacks up a ton of shots, who's a little bit selfish, and with and understandably because he's a great scorer. You have Hayward, who's a scorer, and you have all these guys who are used to playing a lot of minutes who are now coming off the bench or getting less shots or less minutes, and they're probably a little frustrated with that because when they had the minutes last year, they were very successful. So you have all these guys who are probably unhappy, so now they're going to shoot more. They're probably going to defend a little less. They see Kyrie jacking the ball up all the time, and their motivation probably goes down a little bit. And then you hear Kyrie say he doesn't even necessarily want to be with the Celtics. And then you hear about Anthony Davis trades, trade rumors. And just like the Lakers, pretty much everybody except Kyrie would have been on the block. And all of a sudden you have this implosion where people don't want to fight for their franchise if their franchise doesn't really want them. Or they don't want to fight for their franchise if they feel like they're getting the raw end of the of the deal when they were awesome last year. And now... These two guys who were hurt last year come in and take away all their minutes for no reason. So I can see that happening. And I can see where they can have this implosion that's going to mean not being as, you know, fulfilling their potential this year of being an Eastern Conference champions, which a lot of people pegged them as before the season started. Then you get to the Lakers. And I struggle with this one, but I shouldn't because I think before. Obviously, when LeBron got hurt, that was it. That killed the season. And he's obviously still not right. But the reason I'm torn is because maybe they were overachieving in the first half of the season before LeBron got hurt. Maybe their schedule is a little bit easier in the first half of the season before LeBron got hurt. I don't know. But obviously, they went into a tailspin when he got hurt. And then when he came back, again, at the trade deadline... It just screwed up everything. And the Lakers haven't been able to get this chemistry back. And you've been waiting for it all podcast. And here it is. Luke Walton is not the right coach for this team. He doesn't coach defense at all. They're giving up 120 points every game. They gave up 118 points to to the Suns who were tanking. They gave up 130 or 140 to the Pelicans who are tanking. They gave up. 100 and something, maybe 115 to the Grizzlies who are tanking and they lose these games and you just can't lose to teams who aren't even trying to win. And maybe it's chemistry and maybe they overachieved in the first half, but most likely it's because they're not that good. And that's why even though they offered four first round picks or whatever in the entire roster, the Pelicans didn't want to trade for Anthony Davis because all these guys aren't that good. And when you have so much talent in the West and so many nights you're playing as a team that's... It's it's like there's two things that happen. Number one, you want to beat the Lakers because it's the Lakers. And number two, you want to beat LeBron because nobody's been able to beat LeBron for a really long time. And now, like I've been saying for years, the vultures are circling and they're smelling blood, and they're seeing LeBron crawling through the desert, and this is the time. And they're going to attack, and, you know, you can tank all you want, and you can talk about tanking, but the players on the floor aren't tanking. You know, I'm sure everyone knows this, but tanking is not putting the correct players on the floor that can win games routinely, right? 
or you know sitting your your players so that they won't get hurt for the end of the year and you can just start kind of getting ready for next year but the players that are playing are playing for their resumes they're playing for contracts they're playing for their ne- you know for their next team to see them etc so the teams are out there they see the lakers they see lebron and they see a chance to beat him they're going to go after it for sure so you have all these factors and you have the the fact that they don't play defense and i don't think luke walden holds these guys accountable accountable because i don't think they respect him to be honest brandon ingram does not play defense i can't stand him i think he's a volume shooter i think he's terrible I would trade him away for nothing. And, you know, he's on the floor 35 minutes a game, jacking up shots with guys hanging all over him. And then he goes back on D and he just doesn't care. Have you ever seen Brandon Ingram get scored on and like slap his hands together in frustration or or look at all upset that some guy scored on him? Never. Because he doesn't care. Because for him, his contract is going to be how many points he scores, how many rebounds he gets. Look, I see him jumping after rebounds. Why? Because those are statistics. And you see a lot of players. Kevin Love is is the number one guy that if there's an uncontested rebound, he's going to sprint for it because it's a statistic. And at the end of the day, those statistics don't count whether it was contested rebounds or contested shots or whatever the case may be. So a guy like him is going to go after things that can give him statistics. And it's just not, he's just not a, a, a winner, in my opinion. And all of these things together have just kind of done in the Lakers. And it's very disappointing because I think if they got to the seven seed, I think they could do some damage. You know, I don't think they can beat the Warriors but they can beat the Warriors. That's the funny part. You know, they keep beating the Warriors. They killed them on Christmas Day. They beat them again without LeBron. But I think as an eight seed, I don't think they can beat them. But if they got to the seven seed and somehow won that and then played like the three seed and somehow won that and then they played the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals with a team that believed, then maybe they could do it because they know they've, they've already beaten them. A couple other things about the NBA right now as we as we wind down to the end. I think the Marc Gasol pickup by Toronto was huge. I know this is old news now, but I just think he's really solid. It's just interesting to me that still no one's picking the Bucks, And they've had the best record in the, in the East for a while. They just beat everybody. They go into Boston, they win. They beat Boston at home. They, go, they kill Philly. They kill Toronto. And nobody picks them. And I don't understand why, because they're long, they're athletic, they can shoot, they defend, they have all the pieces, and they finally have a coach. So they're my pick to come out of the East, and it's really interesting how Indiana is going to screw everything up, because they're sitting in the three seed right now, and you thought it was going to be the big four of you know Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, and Philly, in that second round, we have two great, you know, semifinal Eastern Conference semifinal matchups. And there's Indiana sitting there in the three seed because they just keep beating bad teams and doing okay against the good teams. And now that pushes Boston down to the five seed. And that's going to mean Philly and Boston the first round, which is just crazy that one of them is going to be out first. In the West, it's really interesting because I really think I would take the field over, over Golden State right now as far as to win the entire thing. But I still think they're the best team, 
but I just think I would take the field. And that's probably a losing bet, but I just think that they're vulnerable. And I don't know what it is, and maybe they'll right the ship when they get to the playoffs, but just watching them struggle on the road, lose to Miami, lose to Indiana, and just get stretched to the absolute max in Philly, where they just ISOed Kevin Durant every single play just about. And it's like, this isn't the this isn't the team that it's been for the last four years where they move the ball and they play and they have fun. I mean, this these are grinds. And it's really interesting to watch them and to see them not play the way they've been playing and not playing with that freedom and fun. And maybe it's just the tiredness of the season. Who knows? But everybody's tired. Everybody's been playing like this the whole season. So I would take the field. But if I had to take one team, then I would take Golden State, obviously. Two final things I want to talk about. And it's going back to the Lakers. And I was doing some research on winning the NBA championship throughout the years and what you need. Because you need Hall of Famers. You need All-Stars. And if you don't have those, you're not winning an NBA championship. So if you look back, because I know if LeBron misses the playoffs here, everyone's going to be up in arms. Everyone's going to be destroying him. Michael Jordan this, Michael Jordan that. Well, Michael Jordan missed the playoffs a bunch of times, but not later in his career. So if we look back at the last, let's say, 20 years of NBA champions, we could go way further back than that, but I, brought, I pulled it all up. So we have Golden State, Golden State, Golden State, and, and and Cleveland, right? So Golden State has probably three to four Hall of Famers and three to four or four to five All-Stars. The Cavs with LeBron had LeBron as a Hall of Famer. Possibly Kyrie as a Hall of Famer. Kevin Love is a perennial All-Star. Then you go to the Spurs, who had the big three, all Hall of Famers. Then you go back to the Miami Heat, who had the big three, all Hall of Famers. Then you go back to the Mavericks, who had Dirk and Jason Kidd, Hall of Famers. Then you go back to the Lakers, who had Kobe and Powell. I assume Powell is going to be a Hall of Famer. Then you go back to the Celtics, who had the big three, Hall of Famers. Spurs. Then you go back to the Miami Heat, Shaq, Dwayne Wade. And they actually had like Gary Payton and somebody else. Let me Let me look it up here. They had one more guy. Who was, oh, Alonzo Mourning, Hall of Famer. That's right. Then Spurs again, Hall, three Hall of Famers. Then you have 2004 Detroit Pistons. And I, I did the research. None of those guys are Hall of Famers from that roster. So since 2018, and I'm just double-checking right now to make sure that nobody that was kind of like on the bench or something was a Hall of Famer, but no. So there's no Hall of Famers from the 2004 Detroit Pistons team. Then you go back, Spurs, big three, three Lakers championships, Shaq and Kobe Hall of Famers. Then you go back to the Spurs, 99, which I think they even had David Robinson. And then you go back, you got the Bulls, the Rockets, the Bulls, and then you're all the way back to the Pistons, the Showtime Lakers, the Celtics. And so you go all the way back, and all these teams have minimum of two Hall of Famers to win an NBA championship. Now, if you want to argue that Kyrie is not a, not a Hall of Famer, that's fine with me. But you just had LeBron, who was the best player on earth, 
just carrying them to that championship. So the what's the point here? The point is that what is LeBron working with this year? Because he has no Hall of Famers on this team. Unless I'm mistaken, there was no other Laker who was an All-Star. So the Lakers are so far away from being an NBA champion, from being a playoff contending team. And I think 10 years ago, you could have put LeBron on any team in the NBA and they would have been a playoff team. But the strength of the NBA right now, where there's so many really good teams, and LeBron's age, and the fact that he missed so many games due to injury this year, I just don't think... I don't even think it's embarrassing for him to not make the playoffs. I think it's just one of those things, and I think next year the Lakers will definitely be in the playoffs because I think they're going to get one of these big free agent guys. And I think this will all be something in the past. Anyway, that was a long talk about the NBA. And let's move on to more analytical type discussion here today. So I kind of teased at the beginning, and I wanted to talk about fouling when you're up two. And I think this is something that I've thought about a lot, and I've never done it. But it's very interesting to me. And when you see Utah hit a game-winning three on UCLA at the buzzer, and I can't name all the teams, but recently there's been so many game-winning three-pointers that it makes me think about fouling up two. So everyone talks about fouling up three, right? Because the best they can do is get two points and then they have to foul you and you turn into a free-throw contest. Well, what if you're fouling up by two? Okay, so let's break this down. If you're up by two, and there's, let's say, 20 seconds on the clock, so you have less than one possession left, so they they can hold for the final shot or whatever the case may be. There's a bunch of scenarios that can happen. Scenario one, they shoot a three-pointer and miss, and you win the game. That's a good result. Scenario number two, they shoot a three-pointer and make it, and you lose the game. And that's the worst possible scenario because the game's over and you lost. Scenario number three, they shoot a two-pointer and miss, and you win the game. Scenario number four, they shoot a two-pointer and make it, and you go to overtime. And then you could add in a bunch of other scenarios where they get an and one and make or miss the free throw or whatever the case may be. So in two of those scenarios, they miss the shot, and you win the game. And so... How often do they miss the shot? Let's pretend that they missed the three-pointer about 60% of the time and they missed the two-pointer about 50% of the time. Maybe it's a little higher than that. Who knows? Now, in those scenarios, you win. In a scenario when they shoot a two-pointer and make it, and we're going to consider that it's so far towards the end of the clock that you're not going to get a quality shot back. Then you go to overtime, and you can win or lose in overtime. Now, there's only one scenario that you lose the game, and that's when they make a three-pointer. And I would say around, you know, somewhere between 35 and 40% of the time, maybe lower, because you're going to be defending the the three-point shot, and hopefully you're going to be playing great defense because it's the last possession of the game. But I also think 
that by defending the three-point line because you're so worried about not losing that maybe they get a really good two-point shot, even a layup or a dunk or something, because you don't really care if they get that. You just don't want to lose on a three. So the math on this is really hard, and it's not something that I'm smart enough to do. Someone like Ken Palm could probably do this better than I can. But I did some some other – I looked up some other numbers. So let's say you fouled. Let's say there's 20 seconds on the clock, and you're up two, and you foul. When you do this, a couple things happen. Number one, you're going to get the last shot of the game if he makes both free throws. So – the first thing that happened is, of all those scenarios that I just described, you can't lose, which is awesome. Because the worst case scenario is if he makes both free throws. I mean, you could say a worst case scenario would be if he makes one and they get offensive rebound in the second. But we're going to keep in mind, or we're going to assume that your team can box out and get a rebound on a free throw. So the worst case scenario is he makes both free throws and you get the last shot with a chance to, with the ball in your hands, with a chance to win the game. I think that's something a lot of people would take. And if you miss that, then you still are going to overtime, which means you have another opportunity to win the game. Now, if you can, if you foul their best free, free throw shooter, who's a 90% free throw shooter, if you do the math, he's only going to make both 81% of the time. So 20% of the time, he's going to miss one of the free throws and you win the game. And the other 80% of the time, you're still going to get the last shot, which if you shoot around 50% or something like that, you're going to win the game 50% of those 80%. If the guy is a 70% or an 80% free throw shooter, he's going to make both free throws only 64% of the time based on the math. And if he does that, again, you're going to get the final shot. So so again, if I think an 80% free throw shooter at a college level is pretty high. And still that guy is, not, is only going to make both mathematically 64% of the time. Maybe it's a little higher because the pressure's on and he's going to be more focused and whatnot. So that's fine. But again, you're still going to get the last shot. Your, your team is still going to have the ball in their hands with an opportunity to win the game. Now, if you foul someone who's a 70% free throw shooter, he's only going to make both free throws 49% of the time. So that's only 50% of the time. And maybe, again, it's a little higher because the pressure's on. So almost half the time, you're going to win the game right there. And half the time, you're going to get the ball back with a chance to win the game in regulation. So if they have a bad free throw shooter on the floor and he touches the ball, let's say they throw it into a post player or or maybe a pick and pop or whatever the case may be, a ball reversal, and you can foul that guy who's a, let's say he's a below 70% free throw shooter, to me, it makes sense. Now let's let's tease it out a little further. Let's pretend that you think or you know that you have the better team. So now you fa- so now okay. So you think you have the better team, or you know based on records and based on whatever that you're the better team, right? So the longer you play, the more chance there is of you going to win. Okay. So somehow, some way, this team is within two with 20 seconds to go. Now, we went through all those scenarios. If they throw up some miracle three-pointer and make it, you lose the game. By fouling them, you're actually extending the game and giving yourself, 
who you believe is the better team, more opportunities to win. Because number one, they can miss the free throws. Number two, you can come down and score in regulation. And number three, the kicker, if you don't and you go to overtime, now you're putting five more minutes on the clock in a scenario where you're what you think is the better team. So five more minutes is five more minutes of possessions where you can show that you are the better team than them. So there's so many positives. And I understand that sometimes they're going to miss and you would have won. And a lot of times they're going to shoot a wild three probably or a wild two and miss and you might win the game. But some of those times you're going to lose. And that's the worst scenario. Because in all those other scenarios, you don't lose. But if they make a three, you lose the game, period. And even if they shoot it at 30% or let's say 33%, well, if that scenario happens three times in a season or six times in a season, those are a couple losses you're going to take based on percentages. And if you think you have the better team, why not extend the game even further? I know that in scenarios where I knew my team wasn't as good as the other team, I slowed the game down. I said, I'm going to shorten this game. I'm going to make the game less possessions because the more possessions there are, they shoot, they're offensively better than us and defensively better than us. So the more possessions we play, the, the more chances they are going to have to be better than us. So I would slow the game down. I would take the air out of the ball, tell my guys to walk the ball up the court. Now, the, the exact opposite is the same thing. If my team's better, why not extend the game while still having a great chance to win it if these guys can't make a free throw or if I make a... Uh, the final shot down on the other end. And I know that I trust the way that I execute and my team executes. And we're going to have a play that they haven't seen before ready for the end of this game. So we can get a great shot with a great opportunity to win the game. And if we miss it, then guess what? We play five more minutes where we're the better team. So I would really like to know the math on it. And like I said, Ken Palm is probably the guy that probably can do that better than anyone maybe on earth. But I think it's really something to think about and something I've been thinking about. And I know it would take some nuts to do it in a game. But if you're a high school coach or you're a middle school coach and you look at the other team and you know those kids aren't making two free throws, why not? There's, I mean, especially if you're not a varsity coach. I mean, JV kids and freshman kids and, and, you know, middle school kids, are they really going to walk up there and bury two free throws? Probably not. And then again, you're giving your team another possession to win the game. So it's something to think about. I'd love to hear feedback. Um, I know we're still a small podcast, and I haven't. I've been getting a little bit of feedback, but not a lot. Um, but if you'd like to find me on social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can send me a message and tell me what you think about this, or if you can find the numbers on this somewhere, I'd love to look at them and we could talk about them. But I just think it's something, you know, I, I like thinking outside the box. I hope you guys do too. I hope you like to think outside the box and try different things. And I don't know, maybe someday that'll be something that someone does and it'll blow the minds off people because no one's ever done it before. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the, the percentages say, no, you should never do that. But when you just think about it without the math to support it, it kind of makes sense a little bit. Now, Let's pretend that the other team has a bunch of really good free throw shooters 
and you don't have a great offensive team, but you have a really good defensive team, well, this is not the play. The play is to dig in, get one stop, and win the game. Defend the three-point line, switch all the screens, jump out so guys can't shoot, and get your one stop. But if you're not a great defensive team, if you're not a team that defends a three-point line that well, which is a number you can easily look at, then maybe fouling is the play. And then now the ball is in your hands to win the game. Anyway, just something to think about, and I'd love to hear some feedback. Anyway, that's it for today. I'd like to thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.